I make a racket, and I try to preach. Anyway, it's great to have Mr. and Mrs. Jason Hall. I said it that way because it's good to see Mr. and Mrs. Scotty Hall. Amen. Amen. For so many years, it was just Scotty, just Scotty, Scotty and Patty. Now, it's Mr. and Mrs. Scotty Hall. Glad to have you guys with us here today. What a blessing, amen. God has been good, and he continues to be good. But if you really know him, you know that God is great. Amen. Well, contentment is not the answer. Or should contentment is the answer. What is he not from? <laughs> contentment is the answer. Now, it may sound a little bit weird because of the message what I'm preaching this morning. But you know, the overall thought is discouragement. That's what the topic I'm dealing with this morning is discouragement. And uh, we're dealing with the three D's. We looked at discernment. What was it last, Seth, what was last week? Can you think of that? <laughs> anyway, uh, discouragement is one of those D's that's a problem in our lives. Because every one of us gets discouraged. And we get discouraged over a number of things. And if we're not careful, we don't see that as one of those experiences in our life where we need to learn to be content. Folks, we can even learn to be content in the midst of discouragement. In fact, it kind of is a settling experience when we're content in our discouragements because we have a calmness of our spirit that we can see our way through it. Then if we frustrate, get frustrated, it just makes us more discouraged, if you will. So our key verse is verse 10 from Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10 says, Fear not thou, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So as we approach this passage of scripture this morning, the prophet Isaiah, speaking by inspiration of God, is giving an important promise uh, or premise, if you will. In verse 10, or so verses that will follow, God wants Israel to know that when push comes to shove, that he's there. You can count on him even when it seems that you are alone. That nothing is, when nothing, I should say, is going right and you feel that you've reached the end of your rope completely discouraged. I can't believe that God didn't do this. Or I didn't, can't believe that God didn't answer my prayer that way. Or, I'm, you know, all the things we might become discouraged. So discouragement just piles on, doesn't it? We find other th- things to be discouraged about. Now, discouragement is a part of the human experience in a fallen world. Adam and Eve didn't have to have any discouragement until they disobeyed God. Then all of a sudden they became discouraged because they knew they had done something they should not have done. Although they didn't understand the consequences, they would soon find out. And so, you're not, you nor I would, nor will we be the first to experience discouragement. And we won't be the only ones that God has had to deal with over this issue or issues of discouragement. God allows discouragement to be experienced as oftentimes it is the only way he can get us to seek his loving presence and guidance. When you get discouraged is when you got to get asked, Lord, I'm not sure what's happening. Things aren't going too well today. Well, this project didn't turn out quite right. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to sense some problems in my personal life or maybe in my marital life. At work or wherever it may be, I'm, I'm beginning to sense, Lord, that uh, I'm becoming a little more discouraged along the way. Well, 
it not true that when we become discouraged over a health issue, financial issues, marital and family issues, perhaps it's a project deadline that is not going to come off, academic issues and spiritual issues, just to name some, that can be in and of themselves very discouraging. And so the issue isn't whether or not a Christian should or should not be experiencing discouragement because we live in a fallen world and we have an enemy. We have a couple of enemies. One's known as Satan. The other one's known as our flesh. And so we are sinners saved by God's grace that has to carry this burden of a thing called our flesh. Just about the time you think you've gotten the victory over something, boom, you realize, hmm, can't believe I just fell. I can't believe that I just faltered. I can't believe that I just took a step backwards. And so the issue is, what do we do when we are experiencing discouragement? Do we quit? Do we throw in the towel? Do we say, what's the point? It just seems to always end in some form of discouragement along the way. Well, it's critical to our faith in uh, God's promises and our Christian testimony as to what we do when we find ourselves facing discouragement. And how we handle discouragement is vital and very important. Either we can control it or it's going to control us. Life is tough. And God promised that life, as we approach the end times, life was not going to get any easier. Amen? We're going to be facing some issues that our parents didn't have to face. Now, yeah, World War I, there was World War II, there was the uh, uh, Cold War, there was the Korean conflict, there was the Vietnam and so on like this. Uh, but there are other issues here in America that we're facing today that our parents didn't really have to face. Not that ours are necessarily any easier, they're just a little bit different because the further we get from God, the less hope we see for America. For the individual, that's a different story. But for America, I don't know if America has any hope left. First Timothy chapter 4, God gives us the warning. This was in Paul's day. And I'm sure that with Rome in charge, things didn't look all that, uh, didn't look all that uh, wonderful either. And so if anybody was able to help us understand. It would have been certainly Paul if he wrote to Timothy. And I'm sure that Timothy got discouraged. He's a young, he's a young preacher. Uh, and uh, I'm sure he had to face some, some discouraging times. And so Paul, in his epistle to Timothy, he writes in chapter 4, and he says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. That's discouraging. When you see people come to know Christ as their own personal Lord and Savior, and then they turn around, and, you know, one day they're coming to church, and the next thing you know, they're not bothering with church, they're not praying, they don't have... I mean, it, it's, a, it's a mess. It's discouraging. Especially if you've been praying so long for a family member to get saved, and they haven't gotten saved yet. It can be quite discouraging. So we know that the, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now there's a tremendous increase of, of the cults movement. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses now getting back out knocking on doors for sure. Uh, Mormons aren't very far behind them. Uh, so no matter where you go today, it's in your face for the most part. Uh, even uh, supposedly uh, uh, good churches have, have watered down the word of God. 
And it's very dismaying and discouraging when you see churches uh, preach uh, powder puff messages uh, for Christianettes who want to sin, live in sin with no regrets for the most part. But he says, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and com- uh, commanding to abstain from, from meat, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Now, uh, we're living in some very perilous times, very difficult times here. Decisions that are coming out of Washington, decisions that are coming out of Montpelier. Uh, you can be discouraged or you can do something about it, Amen. I mean, every year our representatives run for office. There is a, there's a town caucus, Democrat, Republican, and probably there's one for the, um, what's the other group there? The uh, liberals, anyway. <laughs> oh, uh, the other ones. Um, yeah, libertarian, the libertarian party and so on there. Uh, but listen, uh, if you're discouraged with the outcome, then change the input. Amen. That's usually what is the best the best route to take. It's not fun. Let me because I've, I've been a part of the Republican caucus both in in Essex and then in the Chittenden County. Uh, it's not fun. It's not fun unless you consider a battle. Sometimes standing up for righteousness in an in, in, in an environment where hostility is all around you. It's fun to watch them get all beside themselves. Interfere with the norm. We've been doing it this way. Yeah, you've been doing it wrong all the time. So, but nonetheless, it's the same thing with the school board. You don't know what school's being being taught? Well, putting them in a Christian school is one answer. But someday, those kids coming out of those lousy schools are going to lousy colleges, and they're going to get governmental positions, and they're going to have lousy ideologies that you're going to live under. Amen. And so God's people have to start getting involved in school boards, hearings, and so on. Because it gives uh, garland heart palpitations, I think, when you do that. But God, as it is so like him, has exactly what we need at the time we need it. Not only after the fact, but even in advance. See, God knows what you're going to be facing in the next minute, the next hour, the next day, the next week, the next month. Amen? He knows what you're going to be facing. And so he wants you to know, I'm there for you. I'm there for you. Father, we pray that you guide and direct. We looked at a message this morning. And Lord, help us to realize that even when, when life seems to be dealing us a, a, a difficult situation, and Lord, we kind of get discouraged and beside ourselves and we wonder what it's all about and where are you in all of this, God, that we realize that you are exactly where you said you would be. You're with us, wanting to meld yourself to us in our problems so that we can find the help that we need and the direction that we need to follow. So, Lord, you've got to direct. Lord, I have no idea who the message is for other than all of us, whether it's today or somewhere down the road we'll need it. Or maybe looking back on the past and realize that, boy, we didn't handle that very well, and now we can make up for that and do things differently. So, Lord, you guide and direct, whether it's to salvation or to rededication. Lord, you know the nature and the need of the heart of those who are here today and those who are gathered at home. So that, Lord, you may be magnified and glorified in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at three points here this morning. And the first one is that we first we find the fear not in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. He says there, what? First word. Fear not. 
thou, or fear thou not. And so, remember the Israelites as they journeyed close to the promised land. It was a troubling time. They didn't know what to expect, and so they sent spies in to spy out the land. And so, if we were to turn to Numbers 13... And in Numbers 13, we can kind of follow this along just very quickly. We see that first and foremost, they had by this time experienced the presence and power of God in numerous ways in impossible situations. Not just every one of the meal daily exercises, but in seemingly impossible situations. First of all, there was the parting of the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his army, his well-armed army, his well-trained army with the horses and the chariots and the soldiers, I mean, they're kicking up dust so that they can see it for miles. And there is Moses with his people, and there's Pharaoh and his army that way, and there's the Red Sea this way, and it's deep. How are you going to get a million people across that, that Red Sea? How are you going to get men, women, and children to go across? Not enough time to build a raft, not enough time to build a boat. They didn't have rubber inner tubes back in those days. They didn't have floating devices unless it was a tree. But there was the parting of the Red Sea. Could you imagine that? And a million people walked through on dry land. Just walked through. There was the bitter water turned to drinkable water. Chiding and, 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 and uh, blaming Moses for bringing them. I mean, you just went through the Red Sea. You went through on dry land. The water was on both sides. You know, what are you talking about? Good night. Can't you just ask God to provide that? No, they murmur and complain. Because murmuring and complaining is what we seem to, to, to uh, do first and foremost. And so God provided drinkable water. Twice God issued water from the rock. Every day they experience the divine food from heaven called manna. And they even grumbled. That's being mad and mumbling and grumbling at the same time. But anyway, uh, you know, what do, you, what do I have to do to make these people happy? I wonder sometimes you didn't think that about us. What do, what do I have to do to make these people happy? What do I have to make these people to have incense joy? And then there was the, the budding of Aaron's rod. Remember the challenge came as to leadership. And the 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel brought their rods and only Aaron's budded. The rest of them remained dead. The man Moses spent 40 days and nights in the mountain with God. He came down off the mountain. The people, oh, no, we can't look on you. Don't talk to us. Cover your face. Because his face glowed so brightly because he had been in the presence of God. Wouldn't you think that should be true of us who spends... The more time we spend with God, the brighter and the more joyful that countenance should be. It would kind of take care of the frumpy, grumpy Christians, wouldn't it? What are you smiling about? Hey, I just got to spend some quality time with God today. I just came out of my prayer closet. And that's why I'm so happy. You should sing that song, huh? That's why I'm so happy. Yeah. So his face shined brightly so that they couldn't talk with him face to face. Wouldn't you want to think that, man... I would like to have that kind of a conversation. I would like to have that kind of a meeting with God that when I came out of there that I was all aglow. And there's another song like that that has the clues in it, the all aglow. 
Sunshine, sunshine. All these weird little things. One day I'm going to string them all together and nobody's going to have any idea what the song is. And so they saw miracle after miracle for 40 years and they still complained. And they still murmured. And they still doubted if God could get them across the Jordan River and give to them the promised land. So what we learn from Numbers chapter 13 and 14 is one's point of perspective is important. How you see God is very important. What you understand about God is going to determine your perspective of God. And you're only going to get the right perspective by being in the Word of God and applying the Word of God so you experience God, if you will. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 26 says, And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel. And they were so excited. I mean, they were so excited they were going to jump out of their skin. And uh, says, under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land, and look what you're going to get. Look at the size of these grapes. They were like grapefruits. The soil was so rich and uh, plentiful, and well, it's, a, it's it is everything God said it was. Everything. And they told him and said, We came in under the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. You can only begin to imagine these people were, I mean, they were, oh, I can't believe it. Look, you see those grapes? Do you see those ears of corn? Did you, you see the, the kernels of the wheat? Man, we can't wait to get there. They were pretty excited. Don't you just love it when someone is a wet blanket? We never did it before. Can't do it now. Well, guess what? So it seems that when you're upbeat and, and you're excited about what God's doing in your life or how God is using you, and you're sharing that with someone, and then they always had a but. Always had a but. A B-U-T. A B-U-T. So in verses 28 and 29, here comes the but. Told them about how wonderful it is, how beautiful it is, how fruitful it is. I mean, things that dreams were made of. Nevertheless, that's a long way of saying B-U-T. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the city's a wall. And very great, and moreover, we saw the children of Henek there. The Amalekites, they dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, and by the coast of Jordan. There's trouble in there. There's some major issues in that land. There's some giants in that land. There's walled cities, and what do we have? Pea shooters. And so they gave them this wonderful build-up and then they ripped the rug out from underneath them on the other hand. And so Numbers 13, 30, and 31, we see two distinct perspectives. And verse 3 says, And Caleb stilled the people. Hey, shh, quiet, 
I've got somewhat to say. I saw everything they saw. I saw the good and I saw the bad. I saw the beauty and I saw the issues. But they also saw God, who makes all the difference in the world. He goes on and he, and he, and he said, Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now here comes the second blood. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And I'm going to be, you know, they were absolutely right. They weren't lying. They were just faithless. Their perspective was that we have to handle this. And God never told them that they had to handle it. God said, I'll handle this. I'll handle this. And so both groups of spies saw the same things that existed in the land. Caleb and Joshua saw the obstacles through the eyes of God. And that was the difference. When you look at your problems through your own abilities, all you're going to see are your inabilities. Amen? But when you look at the obstacles before you and you look at them through the eyes of God, you're seeing that my God's bigger than my problems. God is bigger than the issue that, that I'm facing, although I'm dealing with in my life right now. God is bigger. God is greater. And so the ten of the men saw the same obstacles through the eyes of man. Caleb and Joshua saw them through the eyes of God. We be well able. Because we have God. We have God on our side. We have God's promises. God said we are going to take that land. Truly for the redeemed of the Lord, it is a matter of perspective whether we fear failure or refuse to try, lest we be discouraged and faint in the way. In Isaiah 41.10, the use of the words, be not dismayed, is the idea of gazing upon. One may say it is about getting a perspective. It's not wrong to look and get a perspective, but you need to make sure that you get God's perspective on that. Don't settle for yours or some other man's. You look at God and get God's perspective. So we have two choices. One of two choices, I should say. To gaze upon the challenge before us, ignore God and say it can't be done, and then get all discouraged. Why would God have called me to do this? Why would God have called me here? Why would God? And, and we get discouraged because we took our eyes off from the Lord. You know what? Peter could have walked from the side of that boat. I'm not sure what I'm not. A, you can tell I don't know much about boats other than uh, Afton 4 and I don't know what they, whatever they call them. But he stepped over the side of the boat and he began to walk toward the Lord. Why? Because he asked us, the Lord, bid me come. And Jesus said, come on, come on, Peter, this is cool. He didn't say cool, but it would have been cool. Amen? So he says, come. Peter steps out of the boat. He starts walking. He has his eyes on the Lord, and all of a sudden he realizes, wait a minute. Was that water? I'm getting this plan. Oh, I, I can't be doing this. Well, Peter couldn't. But as long as he had his eyes fixed on Christ, Christ would sustain him on the water. Some of these we have to realize is that he's going to sustain us in the issues that we're facing. Not solve them immediately, but to sustain us. And so the idea there is to, to gaze upon the challenge before us. Ignore God and say it can't be done and get all discouraged. 
which is what the ten spies did, and they discouraged the others. And see, that's always the problem. When we as the children of God get discouraged, you know, moms and dads, life can be discouraging. If you've got children, you can have a lot of discouragements along the way, amen? But you need to show your young people what we do as the children of God when we get discouraged and how God is with us and guides us and directs us through those things. And so home is one of the best learning places in all of God's creation to learn of God and of God's promises and of God's presence. And so they discouraged others. So gaze upon the challenge before us. Believe what God can do and then go do it. You may not be able to do it. But God can do whatever he wants to do through you and me. He can accomplish things through us that you and I could not accomplish otherwise. Oh, some things we could do on our own. And sometimes we've bitten the bullet when we try to do it on our own and not, uh, and not alone with the Lord. So look at what he promises in verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 41. I'll get there in just a minute. And, and, and he says here, fear not. I mean, really, what do you have to be afraid of? A little, little pain, maybe a little bit of physical pain along the way. Emotional, otherwise, maybe a little bit. But he says, for I am with thee. He says, I'm with you. Yeah, you don't have to keep looking over your shoulder. You don't have to look back, where's God in this thing? He's right here. Sometimes he's before us. He's leading the way. So he goes on and he, and he says, uh, I'm with thee. Be not dismayed. Gaze upon me. Not on the issue, but gaze upon me because I am able. I am capable. I am bigger than. And he says, I will strengthen thee. That means that you're stronger than you think you are. You're more capable than you think you are because God is going to anneal himself to you and guide and direct you accordingly. Yea, he says, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Basically, God said, I'm going to take care of you. I am going to take care of you. Now, sometimes discouragements can last a little while because the problem itself, the issue, lasts a little while. But know that God is still there with you. He hasn't abandoned you. He's still there. Live like he's there because he is. And so the personal relationship that we have as a redeemed of the Lord, he said, thy God. First he said, I'm, I'm thy God. I'm your God. He avails us of his strength. He said, I will strengthen thee. I'll admit, make you capable of thinking, seeing, and, and handling more than you can th- think, possibly think you can. Then he continues with his assurance. He says, I will help thee. I will personally get involved. <laughs> Gotta love that. There's some people you don't want them to put their oars in your water. But anytime the Lord can take over the helm and the, and the steering wheel, praise the Lord. Amen? So he simply says, I will help thee. That is support. Then he says, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I'm going to uphold you. This is not going to overwhelm you. This is not going to overtake you, though it may seem like it now. When we come out the other end together, it's going to be great. And then he says, uphold. The word uphold means to grasp in order to hold fast. And as I thought about that, I got to thinking about a little child who finds himself in uncertain circumstances, whatever it might be. 
And he knows that his mom or his dad are there with him. And for security, he will do this and grasp the hand that he trusts. Amen? And he will find a solace. He will find a comfort. And he'll find a strength he didn't know that he had before. And the grasp is the idea of grasping as a lifeline. He says, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. See, God's greatest counsel to Joshua for the biggest challenge of his life is found in Joshua. Wasn't the spying situation, but taking over the leadership and leaning on God's counsel. Joshua chapter 1, we just turn it very quickly. I mean, I'll get through it all today. Boom. But in Joshua chapter 1, God knows Joshua has taken over this leadership from this great man, Moses. He's got a million plus people on his hand, and they are stiff-necked, hard-hearted. These are individuals who murmur and complain over everything. Sound like anybody you might know in your life? And so God tells him, he says uh, in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, into the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness, this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. Then uh, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, he says. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be what? Thou strong. And very courageous. Only be thou strong and very courageous. Not in what you and I lack, but when in God possesses. My courage comes from my God's ability, my God's wisdom, my God's discernment. So only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. He talks about the, the book, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. And so Joshua succeeded not because he had good men behind him but because he had a great God in whom he trusted. Amen. I don't know if people have something in the oven that's going to, it might get burnt before you get home I don't know the second point very quickly we find the admonition to not faint Isaiah 41 verses 11 and 12 behold all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded they shall be as nothing and they shall strive with thee, uh, and they that strive with thee shall perish. In verse 12, behold, I'm sorry, thou shalt seek them and shalt not find them, even them that contended with thee. 
they that war against thee shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught. I guess if we would wrap that up in a nutshell, it is that whatever trouble you had, uh, whatever trouble you were facing, it's in the rearview mirror. Say, God brought you through. You trusted. You stood strong. You stood courageous. Now look in the rearview mirror because they're not even in the rearview mirror now. They're in history. They're gone. Amen. And he says, therefore, I, the Lord, thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not. I will help thee. Now, the third point would be, thirdly, be sure not to forget. Do not forget who God is. Do not forget what God's capable of. Verses 13 and 14, the Bible says, For I, the Lord, thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not. I will help thee. Fear not thou, worm Jacob. You know what's an interesting word? Worm. We used to sing a song, and now nah, I wouldn't say that when we were kids. We used to have a little ditty we used to say about that. But um, For them, that word worm comes from uh, a word that is a particular kind of moth. That a female moth will land on a particular tree and that moth will lay her eggs and she will protect and cover those eggs that she has laid and she will die in the process and as she dies her body begins to deteriorate and it turns to a crimson red now Israel was under God's watch care Israel was overshadowed by God. Folks, you and I are overshadowed by the Lord our God. Amen? So the third point is that this is one of those messages from the Lord said, I've got this. Because I've got this. Don't panic. I've got this. God knows that we are but flesh, that we have our weaknesses, that we get discouraged, we get down and out, and his answer is ever the same. Fear not. I've got you. I've got you. So when we, are disturbed, when, we are, when we have our discouraging days, we will, when have discouraging, we also will have discouraging issues, and we will, when it feels as though God is nowhere in sight, don't believe it for a second. He's right there, no matter how discouraging it may be. He is right there whispering to our hearts, for I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not. I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So to put this in perspective, Jesus died for us so that we could live through him. The problem is that we're glad that we're saved and we're we're glad that we're part of the family of God, but we're living our own lives, and we're not living our lives through Jesus Christ. And that's why he died for us, to make it possible for us to live through him. His strength, his wisdom, his knowledge, his understanding, his insight, his perspectives. All these things that we tend to grab a hold of and wonder why we have those deep, long, drawn-out periods of discouragement. Satan loves to use discouragement to defeat us. The weapon God provides for us is his promise to be with us. Help us, hold us up, and to take our hand. Stop fighting him. Be content 
that he is with you. What more do you need when you're facing issues that seem to be overwhelming? What more do you need other than his presence? His promise, I am with you. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Be content in who he is. Be content in his presence. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. Lord, how wonderful and how marvelous. Lord, I'm sure that before you come and gather us to yourself, we're going to be facing some issues as Christians. Though we already know that there are brothers and sisters in the Lord who have come to a saving faith in Christ in other places of the world. Lord, that are, that are coming under attack. Lord, that are having to fight for religious liberty, the right to fellowship, the right to worship, the right to, to believe what you have given to us to, to, to believe in the word of God. And there is Satan and his crowd that wants to destroy it, wants to eradicate it, wants to silence it. And so, Lord, we're going to find some difficult times. And, Lord, we ought not to be discouraged. These are opportunities to manifest your presence, not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of those around us. Lord, there are those who who, who are like the Apostle Paul, who was standing there consenting to the stoning of Stephen. He had no clue that one day he would become one of the world's greatest evangelists, one of the greatest, world's greatest missionaries. He had no idea. But Lord, there he was. And because of Stephen, not in discouragement, but in praise and in prayer. He prayed for his accusers. He prayed for his enemy, those who were stoning him. And then one day, the Apostle Paul met you. And he became a totally different man. He faced things he never thought he'd ever face. But he did it with great grace. Lord, may we face the issues and the circumstances of our life. May we face them with great grace as well. That others around us will either run away or they will come and seek the hope and the light that they just saw through your great grace. Lord, you know the nature and need of each and every heart, and Lord, I'm not even sure how to question an invitation. But Lord, may it be our desire today to take to heart that which Isaiah gave to the nation of Israel, because Lord, they were going to need it. When, when, a, when a Sennacherib came down and took off the ten tribes, and Nebuchadnezzar eventually came and took off the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, they were going to need to have that message. And I'm sure that there were those who repaired to it, and they found, they found the help and the hope that they needed under a pagan king. So, Lord, we live in a pagan day and age, and we have pagan leaders, wicked leaders in high places. And, Lord, there's a lot of moaning and a lot of groaning. But, Lord, for us, we should see it for what it is, a microcosm of what a godless nation looks like and that we still have time to do something about the lives of others. So, Lord, use us mightily, use us greatly, use us for your honor, use us for your glory as we completely surrender our lives to you. And, Father, we pray now that you dismiss us with thy blessings in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And all God's people said. Steve, what's on tap? What you're going tonight?